Thank you guys so much. Hey, let's go ahead and be seated this morning. I really appreciate that. Uh, Amber is nine weeks away. Come on, from welcoming baby Henry into the world. She is downstairs right now serving the other kiddos. She'll be up here next service, but so grateful for her. Hey, we got a lot of ground to cover, but uh, I've never preached after uh, really absorbing such awesome worship this morning. Can we thank God for that great worship? Wow. I was listening to you guys and so many Sundays I have in-ears on and there's so much going on, but there isn't anything quite as beautiful as hearing you guys worship at the top of your lungs. I see so many of you and I know some of your stories. I know the prayer requests that you put into the cards in the week and I know what you're battling. So when you say things like, I'll lift my head in the battle and set my eyes on your face, it's pretty beautiful to listen to. And I know if it pleases my heart, what it must do to God's heart this morning to hear that. So come on, can we thank the Lord for that again one more time? All right, I wanna start off this morning by saying just a couple great thank yous to Pastor Kirk and Suzette. Um, I'm looking right at the camera right now because I know you're watching. And I just wanna thank you for trusting a knucklehead like me to deliver the message from the platform today. I've been thinking a lot this week about 32 years of the Rock Church and all of the people that have delivered messages and songs and prayers and testimonies from this stage. And I know it was all made possible because you were faithful to the call. I think about the thousands of lives in our region that have been touched through and by this church and I just wanna say thank you. Can we lift up a praise to God for our pastors this morning? Thank you guys so much, we love you, we love you. Hey, I like to have fun. I like to have a good time. If you know me, if we're friends, um, I like to joke and kind of keep a lighthearted demeanor. But I do have a burning thing on my heart this morning for this message. So we are going to interact in a couple of unique ways. I've got an illustration for you. I've got some pictures. We're gonna interact and laugh and have fun. But I am serious this morning that I believe God has put something on my heart for you today. So come on, who is ready this morning to receive the word of God? Come on, are you ready to receive some scripture this morning? Come on. All right, Pastor Justin, let's give them what they want. But first, I got a card trick to show you. Uh, you're, thinking, you're thinking, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? First time guests, if you're here today, come back again next week. There very likely will not be card tricks that happen. Pastor Kirk and Suzette, I'm sorry I didn't ask you in advance if I could do this. All right, what I have in my hand is a very ordinary deck of cards. You don't have to watch my sleeves. I am not nearly good enough at magic to trick you in any kind of way. But I have an ordinary deck of cards. There's nothing special really about them, except for the fact that absent from these cards are four guys called kings. Anybody that's played cards know that the kings are pretty important in any game of cards. But what I have right here are some kings. And today's scripture is gonna come from a passage in the book of 1 Samuel. And coincidentally enough, 1 Samuel is the first book of the Bible where we see God start to anoint kings. For the first time in human history, he's now going to rule and reign through a leader in Israel. Much like Israel at the time, and just like this deck of cards, it was absent of kings until this morning. So maybe you're like a couple of my friends here in this deck. 
Maybe you're like the first king who I'm going to put at the bottom. Maybe you say, Pastor Justin, I heard from God years ago. There was maybe something he spoke to me, but you don't know where my life has been. You don't know where it's went. It's been so long since I felt anything authentically close to a touch from God that I don't even know where I'm at except the bottom. Maybe you're like my second king friend who finds himself in the middle of the deck. Maybe you're a middle of the deck Christian, never too high, never too low, kind of steadfast, that's okay, and sometimes, except when it comes time to be passionate of the things of God. Ah, you know, if I make it to church, I make it. If I don't, I don't. We'll, we'll, We'll join up again in the fall, maybe when school gets started back. Maybe you're like my third friend who is near the top of the deck, Maybe you've heard a promise from God, you've you've received a revelation, you're on fire, you say, I have a calling, I have a gift, but you find yourself out in the field on the outside looking in. You say, oh, I have felt so strongly for God, but why am I still in the parking lot? I have felt like God has told me to say something, something's gonna help somebody. Why am I stuck behind a camera this morning? Or maybe you're like my fourth friend who's just gonna remain, let's call him the king who remains. 32 years, storms come and go, people come and go, but you find yourself as the king who remains. Now, I don't know a lot about card tricks, but I know in life that there are shuffles that happen. There are seasons of chaos where whether you're the king at the bottom or the middle or the top or the one who remains, when the cards are crumbling around you, when your life is spinning around you, even if you heard a promise from God, it is hard to hold on to that because all you see are things shifting and changing in your world. But even though I don't know much about card tricks, I know enough about God to know that even through the shuffle, he can work in your life. I know enough about God that even when you think things are falling out of place, maybe things are falling into order and maybe, just perhaps, you are right where you were always meant to belong. Come on this morning. (laughs) What if a a dove flew out of my jacket right now? That would be awesome. Next service, tune in. 11.15. Let's repeat the title of this message today. Say it with me. What you see is not always what you get. Turn to a neighbor and say, what you see is not always what you get. Just like this card trick, just like this simple illusion, what you see isn't always what you get. How many can agree with me this morning that in life, in our culture, We are constantly sizing people up. I challenge you with that this morning. Think about it this week, because maybe you don't even know that you're doing it. Try to watch yourself subconsciously this week. Size somebody up. Have you ever walked into a room, maybe you even did it this morning, and somebody was looking at you and they gave you the, they gave you the up and down. And maybe maybe they don't even mean anything malicious by it. Maybe they're saying, nice shoes, nice, nice denim jacket. Is that new? No, sir, I wear it every week. Maybe maybe they're saying that. But if you're not in the right headspace, you can receive that moment like, are you ready to fight? Like, you wanna go to the parking lot? Why are you looking at me? 
But we are constantly sizing people up. We can walk into a room and make an impression on somebody that we don't even know. And I believe that social media has made this much, much, much worse. Because now we're friends with people. Come on, friends with people. And we like all their posts and we interact. But we've never spoken in real life. We've never spoken in real life. And now it's even easier to size them up because we got pictures and we got comments and we got opinions and we got my truth and your truth and my perspective. It's even easier to size them up. You know what else we do? We label people. I'm gonna label you Democrat so that I don't have to be your friend. I'm gonna label you Republican so that I don't have to take you seriously. I'm gonna label you Karen Because if I do, I'm giving myself permission to isolate you and I can make fun of you and I don't have to love you like Jesus has commanded me to love you. In this culture, we can walk into a room, a restaurant, a church, and just by a simple up and down, make an assumption of somebody that may or may not even be true. How many of you guys have ever watched American Idol or America's Got Talent? Okay, you know, you know the story, right? You get the guy out of the subway, okay? And for some reason on America's Got Talent, it's always so dramatic. He's walking out with like a mop bucket. And for whatever reason, he's got a limp, even though like he's not injured. And, and, and he's coming out from the subway and you think to yourself, there's no way this guy can sing. There's no way this girl can sing. And all of a sudden they open up their mouth and it's like, ah! and it's like, a choir of, of angels are singing and you're blown away. And Simon Cowell is crying. They hit the golden buzzer. What you see in that moment wasn't really what you got. How many of you guys have ever made a friend, but when you first met them, you said, they're too uppity. They're, they're mean. They're too this and that. But then when you got to know them, they became your best friend. We got any Transformers fans Optimus Prime, he has the coolest voice, right? He says, Autobots, roll out. And what you thought was a truck and what you thought was just a car and what you thought was a motorcycle shifted in to something that you did not expect. What you see is not always what you get. Amen. If you have a Bible this morning or if you have a cell phone that can find a Bible, why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word and let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses seven through 12. 1 Samuel 16, verses seven through 12. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Who, who is God rejecting? Who is Samuel speaking of? All of you vertically challenged people, are you glad that height was not the requirement to serve the Lord? Come on. Let me tell you a little bit just to this point. I know you're standing and I wanna honor that, but let me tell you just for a second where Samuel's coming from. Earlier on in in this chapter, Samuel is asked by God to go to Bethlehem, to go to a man named Jesse's house, and to be with his sons, because one of his sons was going to become the next king of Israel. Now, Samuel in this passage is two beautiful things. He is very much a powerful prophet of God, but he is also very human, and you can be both of those at the same time. Samuel says to God, 
you don't understand. If I go to anoint another king, Saul, the current king, is going to kill me. God says, don't be afraid. I've made a way. Just trust me. When Samuel shows up at Jesse's house, the first person he looks at is the oldest son. And he has on Samuel's eyes. And he remembers what Saul looked like. And he says, he's tall. He's attractive. He's strong. He must be the one that I've been sent to find. But let's look here. The Lord said he rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. That was the second strike against Abinadab. The first strike was having the name Abinadab. <laughs> Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Think about Samuel in this moment. I have risked my life to come to this place. I have now seen seven of your tall and attractive sons that God has rejected. He is frustrated. And then the response, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Can you imagine the brothers? <laughs> Are they talking about David? He's not even here. He was not even invited if the Lord has rejected all of us. You see, Jesse doesn't even say his name. He said he's the youngest. He's the runt of the family. He's doing work. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Can you imagine that? You've invited a guest into your home and he orders you to do something and he will not sit until you make it happen. Uh, sir, would you like to sit in my chair? No, I will not. Sir, would you like an ice cold cup of lemonade? No, I will not. That had to have been an awkward dinner party. But Samuel says, send for him. So he sent for him and had brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Can we pray together? Lord, we just pray that you take this word this morning. You do something in our hearts, God. We are praying for salvation. We are praying for revival. We pray that we walk out of this room thinking, loving, and passionate for you, God, in a different way than we've ever imagined. In Jesus' name, come on, let's say amen this morning. Amen. Awesome. All right, let's be seated. Dearly beloved. No, I'm just kidding. All right. I am preaching a wedding. All puns, you know, my first wedding next week. I'm really excited about that. Come on. All right. How many of us have ever felt like David in this story? Maybe you have found yourself not invited to the party. Maybe you have found yourself on the outside looking in. This story shows us just how lowly regarded David was. His father didn't mention him by his name. He was never invited to the feast to begin with. And the only reason he was brought in was because Samuel said, no, I will not sit until he was brought. He is the only one in the field doing his work. It would be very easy in this moment to feel invisible. Oh, Pastor Justin, so-and-so gets to preach, but I'm out in the field tending the sheep. Or better yet, I'm out in the field tending the control room. Or better yet, I'm out in the field tending the connect cards. 
Do we really think that these things in your seat backs just show up? So-and-so is at the party, I'm in the seat backs. Oh, so-and-so gets to sing the song, when will I be heard? When will I be seen? I'm only serving in the parking lot. I'm only serving in the rock kids. I am only putting the snacks out for the youth. I am only hosting a small group. Pastor Justin, I've not even been to church. I am just hosting a group. I am on the outside looking in. Sometimes we say so-and-so got invited to the thing and I didn't. So-and-so got the promotion at work. Don't they see how hard I work? So-and-so made the sports team and I'm still mad about it. I was 12 years old and now I'm 40 and I'm still upset that I didn't make the little league squad. I had potential. So and so and so and so and so and so and so what? If David had this mentality of so and so, I don't think God could have used his heart the way that he did. You see, David could have very easily in this moment been so and so, and in this case for him, were his seven other brothers. David is literally by himself. Everyone on the property is invited to somewhere but him. If you've got one, two, maybe three brothers that get invited to be with the prophet, then maybe you rationalize it. Maybe you say, oh, well, he is the oldest. Oh, he is the strongest. He's definitely the most attractive. Maybe you can understand. But when it's everybody in your world that gets to do something except for you and you're out alone tending the sheep, doing the work by yourself, that's when you gotta guard your heart. That's when you gotta check your ego. That's when you gotta check your humility. You see, so-and-so is in the house with the prophet, but here I am alone. But David wasn't alone. He was with his sheep. And he was with God because even though nobody else in the house saw what he was doing, God saw. He had no one to impress, but God. No one to impress, family, but God. What nobody else can see, God sees. That's why we get a lot of scriptures in the Bible that read something like this. What God sees in private, he can reward in public. The scripture says to work heartily for the Lord and not for men. And when just the right time comes, boom, you're anointed, you're called upon, you're risen to be king. David is sent for, and all of a sudden he is glowing. I don't know if you've ever been out in a field doing work, tending sheep, but you're probably sweating. You're probably dirty. You're probably physically tired. But when he walked into that room and when Samuel saw him with God's eyes, he said, this is the one. He is glowing. Now, this story is so inspirational for so many ways. One of the central takeaways that most people have with this story is that God can raise up a leader from the most obscure and humble of places. Let's see this. When God uses a nobody, he gets all the glory. When God uses a nobody, he gets all the glory. Has anybody in here ever felt like a nobody? You can be free to raise your hand. I have felt that way. I felt that way this weekend, even as preparing this message. I don't feel high and mighty. I actually feel really undeserving to do this. It wasn't his talent. 
It wasn't his ability. He can't sing all that well. He can't preach all that well. But when God picks you, he can use you for something that you can't even imagine. He can raise you up for something greater than you could ever ask for or imagine. If you feel like a nobody this morning, you are in great company. We are a church of nobodies. We have to be dependent on God. We can't do it on our own strength. God often chooses the most unlikely people to do his work. Man chose Saul. God chose David. He didn't look like much to his family, but to Samuel with God's eyes, he looked like a king. When Joseph in the book of Genesis was sold into slavery, and then when he was imprisoned, he didn't look like much but then he would go on to be second in command of Egypt. He would go on to guide his people through prosperity and famine, okay? When Moses was given away by his mother and put in a basket and sent down a river, he didn't look like much, but then he would go on to deliver over a million people out of captivity. Esther looked like a woman. In that time, she definitely didn't look like much, but she would lead her people out of the danger and threat of Haman. Come on, Peter didn't look like much, he would deny Christ. He would make the biggest mistake of his life, but then he would rebound and he would go on to be one of the greatest leaders in the history of the church. He would no longer be known for denying Jesus. He would go to the point of even death to proclaim his name. Paul didn't look like much, but he would go on to be the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. Come on, somebody. Jesus did not look like much. He was a baby in a horse trough in a barn, but he would go on to be the savior of the world. You may not look like much to somebody in your world, to some place that you've ever been, but I'm here to tell you that by the love and the power and the grace and the strength of Christ Jesus running in you and through you, you are saved, you are redeemed, you are set free. Come on, you are chosen, you are his child. Come on, you are his hands and his feet. Come on, you are called for a purpose. Come on, you are his outlet of generosity and faith and impact in this world. You may not look like much, but you look like him. You are created in his image. Come on. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't look like much. <laughs> what you see is not always what you get. You may not look like much, but you're in good company. I'd rather be with Moses than be with the cool, the cool kids. That sounds like such a high school thing to say. Um, so that part of the story fires us up, right? It fired me up. My blood pressure's up right now. Um, but it's easy to say, well, Pastor Justin, that part of the story fires me up, but you don't understand. I've been out in the field on the outside looking in for many years. When is my Samuel going to come and anoint me? When will I get invited to the party? You see, God anointed David that day in scripture. We get to see him be anointed and we get to assume that, all right, everything's great in life from there. But how many of us don't realize that that was just one snapshot of David's life. That was one day. Sometimes we think that biblical characters and people lived for only the space of three pages, that Jesus was born and then all of a sudden he was 30 years old. Now, time flies by, but come on, there's some space in between that. How many of us realize that 
David tended sheep many times before we even read about this story. David's brothers were given preference and David was left out and alone many times that we don't see. But how many of us know that for every battle David would eventually go on to lead his people through, there was a sheep that he was taking care of in his life. For every giant that he slew, there was a bear and a lion that he fought to protect what was his to protect in that season of his life. For every time his mind wandered in the field and says, where do I belong? Look how beautiful the creation is. Look how amazing God is. For every one of those times in the field, there was a psalm and a song brewing in that man's heart. David was called for his great anointing when he was out tending the sheep. David would use these experiences in life while he was seemingly insignificant so that he knew when it came time to defeat Goliath that he trusted that the battle already belongs to our God. Amen. Church, the Lord God who rescued you from sin and an eternity away from him in hell, believe it or not, he has sustained you until now. You are here this morning for a reason. I, I don't know, you're meant for something. I don't know for every invisible role that you think you've led in life. God says, I'm preparing you for something exceedingly more great than you could ask for or imagine. You say, Goliath has armor. I only have stones. God says, I've given you a weapon. You say, I only have sheep. My brothers have preference. God says, I'm preparing you to take care of people. I'm preparing you to take care of somebody other than yourself. Come on, we have got to frame correctly the purpose that we have in our lives. We may build wealth in our life. You may build wealth, I hope you do. We may not. We may have massive influence and a ton of followers on Instagram. We may not. You may play in the NBA, you probably won't. <laughs> you may watch America's Got Talent, my money is that you will not win it. But the goal of our lives is to reach people for Jesus, to spread his gospel, you get to be with God forever. You win. I don't know if you feel like a loser this morning or a nobody, but you have already won. Now it's time, God feels like to tell you to stop being lonely in your field, to stop looking around and feeling alone and start taking care of the sheep that he has charged you with taking care of today. It is time to correctly frame our purpose in our life. I literally have it written down to take a sip of water because I knew I would need it. There's a word in the Bible that is described in many ways, but in its simplest form, it means potential. There is potential in you. Dennis, you may not look like much, but there's something in you. There's a purpose. Pastor Justin, how do I maximize my potential? How do I tap into it? David learned a lot of lessons in the field. And I believe as Christians, we begin to take steps and we begin to learn lessons. Step number one, accept Jesus. Lesson number one, realize that when you do accept Jesus, not everything's gonna be perfect in your life. Step number two, read my Bible and pray. Step number, or lesson number two, realize that sometimes the problems in my life don't have anything as much to do with my circumstances. They have to do with I'm filling my soul with Facebook more than I'm filling my soul with the good book. Step number three, find a local church. 
Lesson number three, realize that finding a church and staying at one are two very different things. When you find a church, you can learn answers to some tough questions. Why is it so important to serve? Why is it so important to give? Why is it so important to invite? Why is it so important to remain steadfast and faithful and honorable even when I don't want to? Because those are the things, the opportunities that mine the gold inside of you. Things that you may not even know are there until it gets tested. These experiences not only help you understand your calling and your purpose, but they help you understand your biases and your shortcomings and your frailty. But when you work on all of that, you get to learn the greatest lesson of all, that the best things in life, they may start with me, but they end in we. I showed up to a church that I like. I received Jesus. I prayed, I read my Bible. But the best lesson you can learn is even though that started with me, if it doesn't spread to the we, if it doesn't impact the people in my world, if I don't correctly frame the sheep that I'm being in charge to take care of, if I don't correctly frame the purpose of my life, what started in me is gonna die in me. But if what started in me can spread to we, I've learned that maybe I can be set free enough for my own selfishness to love somebody to Jesus. Andy Stanley says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Guys, you may not change the world, but you can change somebody's world. Miss Brenda changes a lot of worlds every Sunday, and she's as behind the scenes as you can get. These were the type of lessons that David was learning in the field. He was alone, insignificant, left out, but he learned a lesson of longevity. He learned a lesson of finding beauty in broken places. He learned a lesson with how to be okay and maybe even embrace and maybe even love the season that he was in. With my last remaining minutes, I wanna give you four lessons from the field, four lessons that I think can improve your field focus. Lesson number one, don't despise your small beginning. Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. A lot of us expect to have this incredible monumental thing that happens when we accept Jesus. We think, all right, I accepted you, God. Tomorrow I'm going to start a Hillsong church. That's what we think sometimes. But God says, hey, 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 slow your roll. Pastor Witt reminded us a couple weeks ago, hold fast and strong to the promise that God spoke in your life when you accepted Jesus. But hold very, very, very loosely what you created in your mind when you heard that promise. Jesus told his followers, I'll be gone for a moment, but in just a short while, I'll return. I mean to tell you this morning that it's been 2000 years. And if that's a short time to God, then please don't complain when it takes you a couple years to build something, okay? As the scripture we read just declares, the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Don't despise a small beginning. The heavens are literally rejoicing when you take one step. An expectation held loosely, a promise held tightly. You take a step, God takes the rest. It's oftentimes infinitely more difficult than you ever thought it would be but it's oftentimes exceedingly and abundantly greater than you ever asked for or imagined. 
Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine, according to the power that works in us, it's his power. You may not look like much. You may not feel like much, but you have the power of heaven guiding your steps. You have the power of heaven leading the way. Lesson number two, your season of waiting can be your training. David was anointed to be king when he was faithful in the small things. David's years of keeping the sheep were not waiting time. It was training time. Sometimes we view waiting as a very passive act. I'm just gonna stand, I'm just gonna wait. And sometimes, sure, that's what it is. We can stand and receive. But waiting isn't always passive. We can worship while we wait. We can pray while we wait. We can get a little better, get a little stronger, get a little, get, just get a little bit more fired up in the Lord as we wait. And as you spiritually train, maybe the most important muscle that God can ever build in you isn't the Instagram biceps, it's the heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14 says, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord had commanded him to be commander over his people. The heart, open the eyes of my heart. Lesson number three, just like the king from earlier, learn to remain. Samuel said earlier on in the, in the chapter, send for him, we will not sit until he arrives. Samuel was probably confused at this point. God, why have I seen so many brothers? But he trusted God enough to wait. He trusted God enough that even though he had seen seven come before, he was going to wait on the last one. Some of you have seemingly waited for a very long time to hear and see the promise from God. You've tried for months to find that job. You've tried for years to have that child. You've attempted five relocations, four church homes, three online ministries, two small groups and a partridge in a pear tree. But still, you haven't seen it come to pass. Learn this morning to remain. Sure, you can remain in a wrong thing. So learn to hear from God while you remain. You could be so close to leaving after you saw the seventh son that you don't get to see the son God had for you all. And last, but most certainly don't, not least, what you see isn't always what you get. Pastor Witt reminded us a couple weeks ago that you can have a picture of something that is both 100% correct and 100% incomplete. We live in a time, guys, where the fastest news is the most popular news, whether it's false or true. If you get there fastest, if you get there first, you don't have to even be right, you just have to be first. So social media becomes a hotbed of us versus them. I'm right, they're wrong. I'm vaccinated, they're not. This is my truth, this is my opinion, this is my perception. And it can become a hotbed of that. It's even celebrated in this time, my truth, your truth. This, this article I read, no, 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 I read this other article that contradicted it. But there is only one truth today and it's the truth in the word of God. It's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your eyes and your mind are going to lie to you. I found a picture this week that reminded me of that. 
Anybody remember this picture from 2015? How many of you guys see a golden white dress? I've seen it every time I look at it. One day I was so cross-eyed that I actually finally saw another color, but it took like 30 minutes. I think I was in church. No, I'm just kidding. No, gold and white is what I saw. How many of y'all see blue and black? Both are true to us, right? There's something behind this picture. It's an angle, it's a lighting exposure, it's overexposed. Some neurons in our brain are in our eyes. They think they see something. Some of us are dispositioned to see a certain color. Some of us are dispositioned to see another. But the comment section on Facebook when this picture emerged six years ago was an us versus them. It's absolutely gold and white. No, it's absolutely black and blue, but absolutely you both are right. Absolutely your mind told you what you saw. Absolutely your eyes told you a thing. But how many know that even though we might've been 100% correct, we were 100% incomplete. This is the actual picture of the dress. It's actually very blue and black. So if you can see a dress that looks like that in a certain way, in certain light, and you can believe that you're absolutely right, how can you really trust your eyes? How can you really trust your mind? But when you ask, just like Samuel did, don't let me see it with my eyes. It's not his height, JRM. That's not what I'm looking for. I've dismissed him, I've canceled him. Don't look at him with your human eyes. Look at him with the eyes of your heart. God, this morning, let it be our prayer. We used to sing a song in church called, open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. I wonder if we could use Samuel's eyes to see the truth of the situations in our life. Help us, Lord to open the eyes of our heart to remain. Help us, Lord, to open the eyes of our heart to wait and train. Help us, Lord, to not despise our small placement in life. And help us, Lord, to remember that what we see isn't always what we get. Hey, let's, uh, let's bow our heads right now in this moment. Lord, we, we thank you for this word. Help it to make sense in somebody's heart today. Maybe that they feel isolated and alone. They are on the outside looking in to something that seems greater than themselves. When will I be with the prophet? When will I be called upon? You say there's something exceedingly and abundantly greater than I can ask for or imagine, but I still feel like I'm tending the sheep. God, help us, Lord, open the eyes of our heart. Help us, Lord, to not despise where you've put us. Help us, Lord, to wait and train. Help us, Lord, to remain. And Lord, help us to remember that what we see isn't always the truth, isn't always what we get. Some of you today have felt far from God. Maybe you were like the first king who heard from God years ago, but you don't know where he's been in a long time. Some of you guys are in the middle and you say, Justin, it's been so long since I've been fired up for anything. I come to church because this is where my only friend is at. Well, you're right, his name is Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm on fire, but I need direction. If you're one of those and you would like to give your heart to Jesus or recommit your life to Jesus this morning, there's no better time and in no better place with people that love you than right here and right now. I just invite you publicly to just raise your hand. If you're one of those in this moment 
and you want to receive Jesus, just lift your hand. You want to come back to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, today I receive you. I know I've sinned, but I come to the cross where you died for my sins. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I ask you, Lord, to redeem me. I ask you, Lord, to change my life. I believe today this is a fresh start, a new beginning with you. Help me become the person that you've created me to be. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's say amen together this morning.